NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Woo! As an adult, don't we all miss spring break? Nothing like taking a week off from all your responsibilities. Well, here's the next best thing for adults, a spring break from house payments. SaveWithConrad.com can help you get rid of all your credit card debt, just like that. We're routinely helping our listeners save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And you don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket to do this, but check this out. No house payments for two months at SaveWithConrad.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I feel different. I love that music underneath the intro. Come on now. It makes me feel alive and tingly. I like that. Awesome. Well, we are alive and tingly together. Greatly appreciate everybody jumping on to join with us. Of course, we're talking to uh, our live studio audience from adfreeshows.com. We always say you get the shows early and ad free. It doesn't get earlier than real time. So good morning this early Saturday morning to Tim and Kyle and Keith and coach Rosie and Liam. Appreciate everybody showing up and showing out for us. We are going to have some fun today. We were off last week. You were out of pocket and unavailable. So I miss you, man. I'm just glad to see your smiling face here today. I am so glad to be back. You know, I, I, I've said this for a long time and I think sometimes people think I'm just making it up, you know, but. I, this is like the highlight of my week. I really enjoyed doing this show. So when I miss it, it's like, Oh, I can't wait to get back. You know, it's, yeah. Feel blessed to be able to do something like this that I look forward to doing every week instead of feeling like I have to do every week. So thanks to you and the team for making it so much fun. And for everybody that's listening along, especially live over at uh, adfreeshows.com, we got coach Rosie, Liam Evans, all the way from the UK. Dig it. Keith Morrison, Tukal Kyle, Jeremy Priest. I love it. All well, our F3 show friends hanging around this early. It's like seven o'clock in the morning for me here in Wyoming. Wow. And in your good mood, rip roaring, ready to go. We're going to have a fun show today. We're doing ask Eric anything. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this. We, uh, we get to cover a lot of topics this way, sort of like, um, rapid fire style. It will be fun. But before we get into that. We always try to just take the pulse of what's going on in wrestling. And this is the go home week, man. I can't believe it, but this weekend is WrestleMania. What do you think of the build so far? What are you looking forward to? What do you think has been overdone? What's just right? Give me the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, you know, I've been a little out of pocket over the last 10 days, so I can't speak to what what's happened recently on television, but prior to that, just, you know, <clears throat> I'm tired of hearing myself say it, so I can't imagine how everybody else feels at this point. But storytelling, structure, pace, just managing the energy, managing the anticipation, and it's so critical. The closer you get, the more critical it is. You know, how do you keep them hanging on to the edge of the seat without giving them too much? Because you want to give them everything you've got at the at, at WrestleMania. That's that's it's fun to watch that being managed. And I, I don't think it can be done better than it has been at this point. I'm pumped. I can't wait. It was a uh, last minute decision for me to go. The uh, original plan. I was not going to Los Angeles this year, but well, I'm hoping to see my pal Cody do the damn thing. What do you think? Sunday night when the final curtain falls, will we have a new undisputed WWE universal champion? <sighs> Here's I mean, I want to see it so bad. 
you know, not just obviously for Cody, you know, where I've watched him grow up, you know, I knew him when he was a little kid and in my relationship, our Lori and mine relationship with Dusty, we were close. So for very personal, just the truth is selfish <clears throat> reasons for us. I, I want to see Cody. I want to see that. And I think a lot of other fans, you know, a lot of fans do as well, but you just never know. Right. You just never know. And that's the magic. That's the magic, but I want to see it because I, I'm like you. And I think one of the reasons why your shows, all of your shows on, on the podcast heat network do so well is because of the history and the legacy and and the nostalgia that makes professional wrestling so cool yes. and, and has su such history generationally. And for, you know, to see Dustin after, or excuse me, Cody, what he's gone through, you know, leaving, going to AW and you know, sticking up for himself and believing in himself and putting it all on the line. And <clears throat> let's not forget Cody walked away from a massive financial opportunity when he first left WWE. Yeah. He may not have been happy creatively, but that I'm sure he had a, I don't know what it is, but I'm relatively certain he had a contract that most people would only dream about. Yes. And he walked away. He bet on himself. And that is a human story. In addition to the great wrestling story, it's such a human story. And then we saw that journey through AEW. And once again, Cody decided I'm going to roll the dice on myself. I'm going to bet on me. I'm not going to bet on this big contract. I can probably get out of Tony Khan. I'm going to bet on me. And here we are. So for the human interest aspect of it and personal selfish relationship and just history with the family, I want to see it, but from a wrestling point of view, man, you just never know. You just never know because it's a little bit obvious, isn't it? Yes. And that, and that's what makes, that's what gives me pause because it is just a little obvious. Well, what's not so obvious is what should close night one of WrestleMania. Of course, uh, I believe it's out there that the plan at least once upon a time, and maybe it still is, was to have the ladies close when Rhea Ripley is going to challenge Charlotte Flair. But there's been a lot of talk that, going back to what you said, story, the story everybody cares about is maybe the tag match. I don't think a tag match has closed WrestleMania since, well, the first one. But this is one hell of a story. The Usos taking on a reunited Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Would you put that on last? Would you start with that? Do you close with that? If you were building the card, you've got the pencil, so to speak. What closes the show on night one? I know <clears throat> Charlotte is such, she's in another category. She's an attraction. She's, she's in that very rarefied air that very few talents that even become hugely successful get to breathe. 
and Rhea is coming on very, very strong. I think I voted for her on Sportskedia's one of the heels of the year, I think. You know, she's really coming on strong. But sometimes timing takes over. Timing wins. And right now, I think the timing is for the tag. I think it's what the people want. I think it's the biggest thing. It may not be the have quite the attraction that a flair Ripley match has because it's two individuals and it's right. easy to focus on. It's the marquee is cleaner and more powerful. There's a lot of reasons why I like singles match in that spot, but I think the timing, Sami Zayn, everything that he's done, the Usos, everything they've done. I think to not have it in that closed first night position is underserving the story. It deserves it. I can't wait to see what happens. Uh, I'm pulling for some new tag team champs there. And, you know, this is really a, a WrestleMania rematch for Rhea and, uh, Charlotte going back to the pandemic WrestleMania. Rhea didn't get her hand raised that night, but maybe now in front of, uh, a big old crowd, she'll get her hand raised. And I think you and I are mutually aligned with Rhea. We both think, man, what a star she is. She just has that star quality about her. And I can't wait to see what's next for her. And of course I'm kind of pulling for Charlotte to be the first person to 17 world titles. So I'm not tore up about the idea that she might not win. Excuse me. It's going to be fascinating either way. It's a great card. Uh, you know, Los Angeles, uh, I wish I could be there. Uh, I'm going to be in Las Vegas, by the way, but <coughs> maybe I'll bet on something, but it's going to be a great card. It's going to be a great weekend. And I don't think you can lose either way, man. There's great story. And what's fun for me being this story nerd that I am, um, I can't wait to see how we come out of it. Where are we going next? Yes. Uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really beautiful landscape ahead of us. We're sitting in that big motorhome going down the, in that big WWE motorhome going down the highway, looking at a beautiful landscape ahead of us. We know we're going to pull off to the side of the road, spend a little time at this thing called WrestleMania. Then we're going to jump back on that bus and keep going down that road. And I can't wait to see where the stories go from here. I mean, the real question is, let's say Cody wins. What's he do next? And more so than that, what happens to the bloodline? Like you've often said one of the problems that you wish is you, that you wish you had uh, a chance to do over in your WCW tenure was to give the NWO story a proper close. We didn't really get that. Would you try to put a button on the bloodline storyline? Or is it one of those things where we can take a pause, take a break. And then when it comes back, it comes back bigger than ever. Or what would you do? I, I, you know why the answer is, I don't know, but here's your possibilities. Again, that big landscape ahead of us. Um, that's the, the bloodline storyline may never have to end. It may morph a chapter of that story or book. One of that story may come to a close with Roman Usos, the present story, but the characters are still there and can extend in a, in another version of the bloodline story. It can carry forward. You know, it doesn't have to necessarily come to an end. It would have to dramatically 
change and there would have to be a resolution to the open-ended stories. Any open-ended current storyline would have to be resolved before you could really move on in building a, a, a version 2.0, right? With maybe some of the same characters, maybe different characters, but it would have to feel like one ended and one began almost like a Marvel, Marvel movie, you know? You can still have some of the same characters in the underlying theme, but everything else, the nature of the story, the motivation of the story, obviously the characters within the story, all of the elements that make stories work would have to feel so unique that it didn't feel like, oh, now they're just changing out a couple people and they're just continuing, which is what we did with the NWO. We just keep adding, kept adding people. We didn't add that much story. We just kept adding people. And I guess that's what I'm trying to say. If the bloodline storyline continues with some different people, some, some, some of the core elements, but it, all of the other storytelling elements feel different. Keep it going, brother. You can go forever. What's up everyone. It's reality. Steve, your number one source for all things, bachelor nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Well, we're going to be able to uh, go forever today because we're doing a ask Eric anything, but of course it's WrestleMania week. So we had to touch on that. I at least want to, uh, bring this up. I know that you have another podcast on our same feed here every week called strictly business. If you haven't checked that one out, you definitely should. Eric talks in long form about all things about the wrestling business, not necessarily the creative and story, but the actual dollars and cents. And there's been a, a lot of discussion this week about CM Punk. There was a message board post from uh, Mr. Dave Meltzer, where he talked about what the plans were and how maybe they changed and he dropped more knowledge in that observer post board or observer board post than he did even in his newsletter about all this. And as the story goes, Mr. Uh, Punk went to Instagram and told his story on a story and they quickly deleted it, but basically said that Moxley refused to lose to him. And Jericho was a stooge and really quote unquote, spilling the tea. And now there's become this big debate. Will CM Punk ever return? Is there a path to making it work? It seems as if he's interested in that. He posted, he had been reading Steve Kern's new book. And, uh, there was a story in there where two guys got into it for real and Lawler drug them into the office and made them squash it the next day. Punk told that story and wrote fascinating. So clearly he likes the idea of getting his Jersey back. Would you give him his Jersey back? No, really? No. Well, uh, let me see how I am. I, I just, I can't help myself. Here. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> you barely finished asking the question and I answered it so definitively and abruptly. So let me just rewind that. Um, I don't know, man. I don't know the cat. I've been pretty hard on, on, on CM Punk. I don't think, well, actually, I don't think I've been hard on him all. I've been, 
honest about my opinion of him. Don't have much respect for him. I think he's overrated. Um, but he's done a great job of keeping his brand hot, right? He's staying alive. People are caught talking about him. Will he, won't he? Will Tony, won't Tony? Is he coming back? Is he maybe going back to WWE? He's keeping himself, you know, at, at, at a real high temperature, even though he's not doing anything. And hats off to him for that. You know, that's, that's, that's a valuable thing to be able to do. But I don't, is it worth it? Is it worth it? We know what we're going to get. <clears throat> we know what you're going to get out of CM Punk. And we've seen a lot of it. Is it? I, 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 I wouldn't bring him back. I don't think the risk is worth the reward. We've seen the best of CM Punk. You've gotten the most you're going to get out of CM Punk. CM Punk isn't going to grow as a more valuable asset as time goes on. If anything, it's diminishing returns. And I don't, and, and, and that, which is not a bad thing in and of itself. You know, you can have a great long, you can have an amazingly long career. And when you're, you may be in the diminishing return category, but the returns are still so high. It's okay if they diminish a little bit, right? You're still very viable and valuable to the franchise. But, and, I, and I'm not saying that Punk doesn't have any value in that respect, but I don't think we're going to see any growth in that value. Now, add on top of that, historically, he's a pain in the ass. He's a moody bitch. You know, he's, he's you know, based on what I've heard and read. And people that I've talked to that know him fairly well, who, who I have respect for, and don't, they don't just, you know, say negative things about people for the sake of it. Um, not worth it, man. Move on. There is no lack of talent in AEW. There is no lack of talent that can't be as big or bigger than CM Punk. You just got to put the time in and do the work. And it's fresher. It's newer. And then there's no drama. The drama is killing it. It's, it takes the fun out of it. This back and forth high school baby shit. That these back, oh my God, I think it's just so, I, I, I think they're, I don't, degrading is not the right word, but it's demeaning to me. These guys are demeaning themselves by going back and forth with this kind of stuff. It's just, I don't get it. It's just, it's just not me. Maybe I'm just, I'm old. My time has passed me by, but if you got a bitch, you know, and you're playing this internet back and forth game and, you know, speaking your mind in social media, I just, yeah, it's just not the way to do it. Not for me. And I, and I think it demeans or diminishes the people involved. I don't disagree, man. I, um, I can't believe it's still a topic of conversation. And I realize that part of this is a challenge because he's been rehabbing an injury, but to me, as soon as he's ready and able to come back, he should come back. Like, I can't imagine a scenario on the other side. Like, you know, we're hearing chatter that, well, boy, they'll lose the locker room if he comes back and that sort of thing. Can you imagine somebody saying that about Vince McMahon and the WWF? Well, if they bring in so-and-so, the whole locker room's leaving. What? That would yeah, never and that's, happen. You know, that's, that's another, that's unfortunate, you know, and again, I don't know what the, I don't know what the politics or the drama and the stories of the relationships are backstage. Right. Me I neither. Just, I just know it's been pretty tumultuous since he arrived. Right. It didn't take long. And that was the, and the, the, 
what I've heard about him, I, don't, I haven't had this experience. He's never, CM Punk has never said, well, he's never, he's never offended me in any way, shape or form, right? Never worked with him. And I've never had a conversation with him. So I really don't know him and should do better at giving him um, a, more, of the, more, more of the doubt that I typically do. But that being said, his history is what his history is. And I just don't see the upside long-term, but if you've got a situation where, you know, and Tony, Tony has not had, you know, look, he's young as a business. AW is still got the training wheels on as a new company. You know, there's, there's going to be a learning curve. Yes. You're going to make mistakes in a new company. The faster you grow, the more mistakes you're going to make and the more obvious sometimes they're going to be. And that's all a part of growing very, very quickly, which is what AEW has done. So don't take this as criticism, biatches. This is just stating what is pretty much the obvious in any business. You go through growing pains. But while Tony is in the midst of those growing pains, unfortunately for him, one of the most vulnerable areas and the highest profile part of those growing pains has been his ability to manage talent. And, and be in control. And as much as you hate to say, you know, I sh you shouldn't have to worry about that. Well, no, you shouldn't have to, but you actually do. It's a problem. And it's unfortunate, which is another reason why I wouldn't roll the dice. Bet on the team you have, not on one guy who's got a track record of being a pain in the ass. And you're again, he's just diminishing returns. He is what he is. He's old. He's broken down. He's older. It's not old, but he's much older. He's seen the peak of his career. It's why? I mean, but Aaron, I, I bang your head on that rock one more time. Let's just bang my head on that rock one more time. Could we not just change? I mean, like everything you just said, I could have played back to you as reasons not to sign Hulk Hogan. In WCW, not the first time, but one of the contract renewals. Mm -hmm. He's had, he's seen his peak. It's going to be diminishing returns. He's older. I mean, everything you just said could have been used to describe a Hulk Hogan contract renewal in WCW, but, mm -hmm. but it did affect the bottom line. And so my thing is right now, like you're going to pay him. Why not get some value out of it? Sure. He could sit home and get, be on a shelf and collect a check. And now it's just a debit on your P and L. Or, hey, man, let's use him. I'm not saying we're going to go re-sign him to a lifetime contract like The Undertaker did with WWE, but, hey, let's get some value for our dollar here. I don't think that's crazy. No, and, and it wouldn't be crazy at all, and it would be a smart move if you were dealing with somebody who didn't have a track record of just being a pain in the ass. <laughs> and this guy does. And you are going to bring him, and there's a bit of it, you can't really compare CM Punk to Hulk Hogan in, in any way, shape, or form. But the situation, I understand. The age, injuries, diminishing returns, that I, I understand your perspective on that. But there's no other way to compare those two beyond that. Hulk Hogan, even with the injuries and had been around for a while, the diminishing, turn, diminishing returns brought more equity and value amongst mainstream advertising that CM Punk ever will or ever have. I'm not arguing yeah. that. I mean, listen, no. that's, that, that's the big difference, but, he, uh, and look, the fact that he's under contract and, you know, I've, I've not even going to speculate what the numbers are. I've heard so many of them. I don't want to be guilty of doing that stupid shit, but it's a lot of money. It is a lot. And yes, you do. You're either going to pay him to sit home or you're going to pay him to come to work. You're going to pay him either way. I'd rather pay him to sit home and not mess things up.
Wow. I'd rather not have his drama and his ego and, and whether it's fair or unfair, whether he's created it or not, I, you're going to pay him anyway. Why, why pay the, the, the drama tax? You're going to pay. You're either going to not pay a drama tax or you're going to pay and pay a drama tax. I'd rather just not pay the drama tax. I'm going to hit you with the, uh, Dave Silva at the buffet at lunch. I said, Dave, why are you going back for your third plate? And he goes, I'm gonna get my money's worth. If I'm Tony Khan, I'm getting my third plate. I'm gonna get my money's worth. And speaking of money, I know how you can keep more of your own money. I'm talking about rocket money. No debate here. We're all wasting cash, right? Not just on contracts and letting guys sit on the sidelines. We're letting contracts sit on the sidelines and just get drafted out of our account every single month. And that's why I love using rocket money, formerly known as Truebill. They have helped me cancel unnecessary subscriptions. I have saved, I'm not exaggerating here, thousands of dollars with stuff I didn't even remember signing up for. Are you wasting money on subscriptions? Like 80% of people have subscriptions they forgot about. Maybe for you, it's like an unused Amazon Prime account. Or maybe you and your wife both signed up for a Hulu account. Well, there's this great app that helps you track all of your expenses and you won't waste money on subscriptions you don't even use. It's called Rocket Money. The app is so simple. It shows you all your subscriptions in one place and then cancels for you whatever you don't still want. Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't even know you were paying for. They did for me. Mine was DAZN. I bought it for one fight and 18 months later discovered shit. I'm still paying for this. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Rocket money. You might be even getting double charged. That happened for me and the wife. We both signed up for Hulu at the start of the pandemic. We were only using one account. We watched TV together. We didn't need two separate accounts. We didn't even know rocket money made it plain to see to cancel a subscription. All you got to do is press cancel and ta-da rocket money takes care of the rest. So get rid of those useless subscriptions with rocket money. Now go to rocketmoney.com slash 83 weeks. Seriously. It could save you hundreds per year. That's rocketmoney.com slash 83 weeks. Cancel those unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash 83 weeks. Eric, let's get into it. We got tons of great questions. I don't think there's any chance we'll get to them all, but let's fire through some. On this day in WWE says, hi, Eric, I'm loving mostly reliving Nitro and Thunder in real time from a quarter of a century ago. You said Tyson was the moment you got worried about the WWF, but was this week, 25 years ago, a panic point, the return of Piper and a brilliant champion versus champion match on free TV. Panic point. No, absolutely not. I mean, what, 23 years ago, we're in 1998. Yep. This time in 1998, uh, we were posting record revenues, record television ratings, record attendance, licensing deals with companies like EA Sports with five or $7 million advances. Uh, no, there was no panic. There was awareness. And there was, it was certainly the first time that I went, Ooh, this, this may sting. 
this is serious. But it wasn't panic. Don't get me wrong. There was no panic. Of course, WrestleMania 14 uh, was 1998. That's the one where Tyson was involved. March 29th. So uh, here we are. It's hard to believe that was 25 years ago. But of course, the, um, the next day on TV, you had Roddy Piper and Hulk Hogan. You had Randy Savage and Kevin Nash taking on Sting and Lex Luger. It was a big time show, man. And I could see how that would be, uh, I mean, you gotta, you gotta bring your a game for the night after WrestleMania to compete yeah. with Monday night raw the night after you got to roll out the big dogs, right? Absolutely. What, if you've got powder and it's dry, bring it. Yeah. There, there's no holding back on a night like that. And that's the fun part about head-to-head competition. That's what gave the Monday Night Wars its kind of generational, you know, status as you know, a, the, one of the not the golden era, but yeah, close. Yeah, that's the golden era. And that, that period of time was so special because it was just that head-to-head. What are they going to do? Punch, counterpunch in real time. It was fun, man. Fun question here from Josh. He wants to know what fascinations have you discovered fans have that never occurred to you while you were in the business? That's a great question, Josh. It is a great question. And part of it is just, you know, getting to know you and a lot of your friends that are really into the collector. Side yes. Of things. Yes. You know, it's just, that's never been a world to me. I've never the closest I think I ever got to that was when I was a little kid, I used to love to collect coins. You know, I was fascinated that I had coins that were from the late 1800s. And I used to think about all the people that handled those coins and what life was like during the twenties or the thirties or the 1890s. You know, I was my, my fascination as a young kid, but that's the closest I ever got to being interested in collectibles. And now, you know, I, you know, I come to your home or I talk to people that you're friends with that are also into collecting. And I see how, how big that market is. And I'm thinking, man, I, I wish I would have done what Sonny Ono did that little, that little <laughs> more he packed away. He was like a pack rat and he got stuff stacked in warehouses and, 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 but he saw the value in that. You know, what's really funny is when I went to the first time I went to Japan, uh, Lori came with me when well, no, I wasn't the first time I went, but the first time I brought Lori with me, uh, it was obviously Lori and I and Sonny brought his wife, Julie, and we had a, an amazing time together. And one of the things that we did is we went to Sonny Ono's uncle's house. He had an, an uncle that was, I guess in his seventies at back then, but it was really, really, he was in great shape, very active, great sense of humor, loved to drink beer, eat bulgogi. It's a Korean barbecue dish, but we, uh, we went to his house and which was really cool because you're sitting there with a guy, you know, a Japanese, he didn't speak any English, but through Sonny, we were able to communicate, you know, he was, you know, part of world war two in the Japanese army and wow. was one of the last survivors on a little Island off the coast of the Philippines. And the war was actually over before he found out it was over and that kind of thing. You're sitting there talking to someone like that. But we got done. We had a dinner at his home and had a couple beers, and they gave us a bunch of gifts because that's a very Japanese thing to do. And then we went walking around. But he took us shopping in these little because Sonny's uncle was like a rat. He was like a pack rat. 
And he had watches and jacket and all this stuff. And that's exactly the way Sonny is. Sonny's the same way as his uncle. You know, you go to his house and he's got a garage full and he's got warehouses and commercial property. He's got so much stuff that he's cooked. He's got Randy Macho Man Savage's Harley. No, I mean, he's got a lot of, got a lot of cool stuff. That's amazing. Uh, Lucas has a question for you. What's the biggest thing you miss about being on the road? 300 plus days a year. I've never been on the road 300 days a year, but I've been on the road. I'd say on average 200 days a year, 225 all in all. Well, I, I don't miss anything about, I, I miss. I miss the adrenaline rush. I miss the pressure and the process when you've got a good team. I don't miss the process when you don't have a good team, but when you've got a good team of people with you that you really enjoy and you trust, ah, man, that's fun. And the more pressure you're under, if you're a good team, the more fun it is. Cause that's, you know, the challenge is the fun part and don't get me wrong. It's nice when everything's going great and everything's easy. There's no problems. Nothing blows up unexpectedly. That's not bad. I'm not saying I wouldn't want to spend a fair amount of time in that state of mind, but there's nothing wrong with having a good team around you when shit blows up and just watching really good people come together and, and solving problems. And sometimes that, you know, in, in the process of solving problems, cool ideas come out. That's fun. I miss that. It's kind of like being in, I imagine if, if I would have wanted to be a doctor, I wanted, I would want to be in the emergency room. I'd want to be a triage surgeon. I wouldn't be one of those guys that would want to study a surgery and learn. And, you know, I, I'd want to be slapping body parts together and being under that pressure. And that's what I miss is, is that adrenaline rush that comes with that man i have never wanted a fucking blue chew ad so bad in my life and he said slapping bodies together but you know here we go <laughs> uh, a four finger discount says what's the craziest brand or company that you turned down for a crossover with wcw you know it wasn't so crazy it was just the timing of things um or, or, or i don't remember exactly when but it, when things started turning around for WCW, I would say probably 94, maybe even 95 before Nitro, um, Trojan came to us. Rubbers. Yeah. And they wanted, they wanted a sponsor. They, they wanted in programming. They didn't want to, because if you wanted to advertise in WCW, you wouldn't call WCW. You'd go through Turner ad sales. Right. Your, your ad agency would contact Turner ad sales and, We'd never even know about it. But when you want to have ring posts, for example, or a ring apron or something to happen within the, within the body of the show, not the commercial pod or the commercial break, but within the body of the show, that's a different conversation. And Trojan, I think it was Trojan came to us and, and look, I mean, <laughs> for crying out loud, who would have a problem with that? But back then it was a little bit, eh, a little tacky. And I had to get permission for that one. And it, the, the consensus from ad sales was, mm, we don't think so. Man, so. I, I'm going to tell you now, Silva better get to work because I'm going to need a Photoshop where instead of at Halloween Havoc, the ring posts were Slim Jims. 
<laughs> Maybe. I follow you. Maybe. Uh, Mike Nation wants to know Does Eric believe WWE will eventually add Tony Schiavone to the Hall of Fame? And does he believe Schiavone will accept the honor? You know, I don't know. I don't know what goes into WWE Hall of Fame consideration. You know, sometimes things are really, really obvious to me, and sometimes they're not. Um, I think for me, I think yes. Yes, even though you don't necessarily think about Tony Schiavone and WWE in the same sentence because Tony was such an iconic part of WCW from the very beginning and, and even before that uh, in, in the Crockett territory, in the Crockett years, Tony is such a part of the legacy of Jim Crockett promotions and then WCW that um, you don't think about Tony with WWE, but, you know, it's all one big well, fun wax now, right? It's so I think, yes, I can't imagine that there won't be a time when Tony's not in consideration. And I think Tony would, I, I don't know, you know, you probably, you know, Tony better than I do at this point. He says he won't. I say bullshit. I, why wouldn't you like, why me. wouldn't why, why, I, I wouldn't. I mean, maybe he's got a reason I just can't relate to, but it's not a, it's your peers. Yeah. Yes. It's a WWE hall of fame, but these are your peers. These are people you've worked with, whether they were in WWE or WCW or whatever, these are people that you worked with and spent the largest part of your career with the largest part of your life with, in some respects, why would you not want to party with your peers and just get that moment of acknowledgement? Because that's what it is. Yeah. It's what it was for me, you know, it's, it's, it probably means different things to different people, but I would, I would hope Tony would give me a shout, at least chat about it because it's a very, it's a very cool thing to be acknowledged by your peers. When you first, I mean, let's think back a few years ago before you were a hall of famer, did you have an attitude? Like we've seen a lot of guys do where it's like, Eh, it's X number of grand and a payday and a clash ring. I don't care. But then I've heard those same guys say, well, that's what I tried to tell myself once I was there and I was on stage, the magnitude of this designation and honor really hit me like, whoa, this is a pretty big deal. I didn't expect to feel that way. Was that your experience? I had a weird relationship with the idea of going into the hall of fame and it probably has a lot more to do with just the way I manage myself personally and, and my emotions. Um, wow. I don't want to say this the wrong way. So bear with me. I have low expectations, meaning I, I don't expect anything. I hope for things. I enjoy things but I don't expect anything from anybody or any situation. And part of that is just managing my emotions because if you don't have unrealistic expectations, it's really hard for anybody or anything to disappoint you. Mm. And that's kind of my defense mechanism is it's pretty hard to disappoint me. It can happen, but you have to work at that. 
Um, nothing surprises me. And the way I went into, you know, for, because look, for, you know, for how many years, every time this tubby year rolled around, I'd get that question or those questions for months leading into every WrestleMania. Are you going to go into the hall of fame this year? Do you think you'll get voted? You know, and it's like, my response was, you know, if I do, I do. And if I don't, I've had a wonderful career. I'm not going to let whether or not I get inducted into the WWE hall of fame, make me feel differently about myself or more my time in the industry. That was my way of just managing my expectations. So that at, at up until the point that I got that phone call, I would have never felt bad. I would have, I would have gone to the hall of fame to watch and be a part of it and support everybody else without feeling like, Oh man, I can't believe I didn't get in. That wasn't the way I felt about it. I, I still think the hall of fame is one of my favorite parts of WrestleMania because it's so real and the emotion is so real. Um, so I, I, I was, I had a great defense. If I never would have gotten into the Hall of Fame, I would have not felt bad about it, and I would have supported everybody that did. However, once it became real, it affected me much more so than I thought it would. Mm. And I, you know, look, I, I, I found out. I talked to Bruce, right? So I found out very early in the process before it was announced, and. Even though I knew when Corey Graves called me two or three days later and I did a podcast with Corey Graves where it was officially announced, keep in mind, I already knew for three, four, five days, whatever it was. And it was about a week later or so that WWE wanted the official announcement or wanted the announcement to come in the form of a surprise, as it were, uh, on Corey's podcast. So I, I knew exactly what I was doing when I sent down and, you know, hit play and we were doing the podcast together. And the minute he said it, I started crying, <laughs> which is why I'm really good at building up defense mechanisms because otherwise I'm just, you know, turned into a wimp, but um, it still had a really big effect on me, even though I knew even though I had preconditioned myself for many years of saying, hey, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Truth is, it freaking mattered. Well, my thing to Tony Schiavone is always, hey, man, if you get the opportunity, you got to go. And he says something like, oh, I don't care about that. I'm not going. I'll turn it down. No, he won't. He's and, feeling the same way I was feeling. And I want to, well, my thing is, do it for your kids. Those boys. They love the idea and that lovely daughter of saying, yeah, my dad's in the hall of fame. That's a cool thing for the whole family. It's a, it's a cool thing. It's also a cool thing for the wrestling fans, Tony. Yes. It's not all about you, Tony. There you go. You got a bunch of wrestling fans out there that, that, that want to see you in that position and want that for you, even though you may try to convince yourself, cause I ain't buying it, brother. I did the same thing. But even if you can convince yourself, it really doesn't matter that much to you. It matters a lot to the, what, 30 years worth, 35, 40 yeah. years worth of wrestling fans out there that have been watching UNT. Then, and Tony, you've impacted their lives. Just like I found out much later than I wish I would have, that the things that I was able to be a part of in some respects really touched certain people. So it's now about you, Tony. What, uh, what do you remember about Tony back in the WCW days, as far as his cheer height, 
it's become a whole big topic of conversation. I guess, uh, Bobby Heenan and Mike Tanay at times have done interviews where they sort of joke about Tony always wanting his chair to be taller than everyone else. And we make fun of him on his podcast for his little feet dangling underneath the desk. I just think it's a hilarious visual. Do you remember that ever coming up like in, in some sort of production thing? Cause that was really your first, you know, big piece of work is, Hey, I'm going to take care of the television side of this was Tony's chair height ever a discussion. Uh, I, I, I honestly know I, I, if it was now truth is Tony probably wouldn't have come to me and confided in me that there's this vulnerable part of his psyche because he, he does have little short legs, little tiny toy story legs. Like, yeah, he does have those short little legs and and probably has some sensitivity about that. You know, growing up with short legs is a, you know, a lot of people have a tough time with that. I'm guessing Tony probably went to David Crockett because Tony would have had a much different relationship with David Crockett. And David has some pretty short legs too. So I, I think there might've been a little mm. bit of, you know, empathy going there on go. there. And, and that's my guess. It never came to me. Uh, be sure to pick up our new short leg Jones shirts available now at 83 weeks merch. Uh, forever and ever, whenever I see Tony Schiavone with you, I'm going to go like this and make the sound effect. It's wonderful. Why not? Uh, here's a good one for, uh, chef reactions. Where did you have the best and worst meals during time in WCW, WWE? Oh, chef reactions. By the way, I follow him on Twitter. He's, he's, he's a legit chef and he's a cool cat. He's got some cool posts. Follow him on Twitter. Encourage you. If you like to eat, um, I always like going to Buffalo has DePaulo's. Yes. DePaulo's Italian, man. And having, you know, I don't live on the East coast. I have in the past. And when you live on the East coast, you know, you can find some really good Italian food, right? Lived in Chicago, same thing, really good Italian food. Grew up in Detroit, really good Italian food. But once you get into the Midwest or the South, certainly out West where I live right now, really good Italian food is hard to find. So because it's been so long since I've had really good Italian food, when you ask that question, I immediately go back to Dennis DePaulo's family restaurant. Ilio DePaulo, uh, I think, was the one that started that restaurant. I go back to DePaulo's because it's not only such a great family and a, and a great support of the local community, Buffalo Bills, wonderful human being, but magical Italian food. So I'm going to say Buffalo. I love that answer. Uh, CJ Whitmore wants to know with AEW running house shows occasionally now and WWE's house shows doing well recently, what are your thoughts on companies running house shows? I think it's, I think it's necessary. You know, I, again, I'm not speaking from the perspective of a professional wrestler because I've never been one, but I've worked with them for a long time. And I think across the board, you, one of the things that I learned early on is one of the most dangerous things for a professional wrestler doesn't happen in the ring. It's what happens when they're not in the ring. Meaning if you're not getting your reps in and you're not staying in ring shape and you're not keeping yourself active, um, that's when injuries happen. You know, and I, 
I think I talked about this early on with AEW is one of the, you know, for the talent, it's great because the talent doesn't have to travel more time with their families. There's a lot of reasons why not having a heavy house show schedule is a benefit to the talent, but the unintended consequences generally are, especially with talent that's in their thirties and forties is you start injuries become a bigger issue and more prevalent as a result of not getting reps in. So I think in terms of the overall health of the talent, I think talent will probably be less prone to injury because they're more active, number one. The other benefit to live tours, it has nothing to do with money, is the creative, what comes out of it. Because in a house show where there's no television, you have so much more latitude to try something new and different and get that crowd reaction and, and build perhaps if, if you Conrad, if you and I are booked for a match in three months and in AEW and we're on the road and we know we're going to be in a pay-per-view in a few, few months, we know we're going to have a match, we probably have an idea what's going to happen in that match, or at least we know there's, there's one of two or three choices and you can start building story and coming up with ways to, to do things within the body of a match and try it and practice it and do it in front of people instead of in front of a camera. That's a very valuable thing. And the more time, and you've heard these stories, Conrad, I've heard them. I haven't really been a part of it because, again, I didn't travel on a road with the talent. But when you, I've had enough of it. I've, I've had a taste of it to really understand it. But when you got guys that are traveling on the road and they're hanging out together and maybe they're driving 300 miles in an afternoon together and they're talking, that's where ideas are born. That's where they should be born from. That's where the most fun ideas come from. Um, not when you're locked in a room and you're under the pressure of having to come up with good ideas. The best ideas come sometimes in a free flowing form of just discussion. And that is another, you know, big benefit that you can't really put a price tag on. Let's do one here from uh, Adam. This is a great question in an alternate universe would Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, and the undertaker have had the same impact that hall Nash and Hogan did as the NWO. Now, before you answer Eric, I want to ask because we are in a fantasy booking scenario here. So in this alternate universe, Hulk Hogan is not in WCW. He's still on the WWF and maybe they've grown frustrated with this glass ceiling and somehow, some way in 1996, both Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels contracts come due. They're going to make the jump and the third person to be revealed. Who is the third man? It's the undertaker. So in that scenario, Hall and Nash and Hogan are still all in the WWF. Could they have switched teams and this story still worked? I don't think so. Maybe it's hard. I mean, you know, how do you know? You know, you know yeah. it's fantasy. Yeah. It's fantasy, right? I, I still think the reason the NWO worked was so intangible. Many reasons. It was, and, and it just all had to do with chemistry. That chemistry in that particular time 
between Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, and Hulk Hogan, I don't think you could come up with any combination of talent that at that moment in time would have clicked and resonated in such a bizarrely powerful way at that point in time. It was just magic. It wasn't thought and design and being a good booker. It wasn't, it's just timing and magic and just the right personalities in the right period of time. If we were to try to bring those same three guys together a year earlier, it probably might not would have might not have worked. Right. It's just timing can be such an important factor that gets so overlooked. And I think the timing was just right. And I don't think you could have replicated that that same situation even during the same period of time. I don't think you could have re, re, replicated that situation with anybody else other than Hall Nash and Hogan. Let me ask this. What if that third man, it doesn't wind up being Hulk Hogan. His contract was up. He was on a hiatus, if you will. What if that third man was Bret Hart? They'd all fresh. They'd all be fresh off WWE TV. Could Bret Holland Nash have worked? Maybe, you know, cause Bret did have. Brett had a depth to his character. Brett was able to bring kind of a darker, edgier character to the table. Would Brett have stepped out of his character enough? I don't know, but I think that's a good possibility. It's an intriguing one for sure. Just visually, just look at it. And it's a little bit like casting a movie. You know, you, yes. you're looking at a movie script. You go, okay, we get We need three guys, you know, and this is going to star in this. It's going to be a, a, a buddy thing, you know. We need three guys. And you start to visualize what that movie poster is going to look like long before you, you know, read through the entire script. What's that poster? What's it communicating? So if you just visualize, you know, Brett, Nash and and Hall. That's it's a pretty good looking poster. That's that that's got that's got danger written all over it. So yeah, that could have worked. You know, maybe who knows? Well, we won't be losing any sleep over it because what we got with the NWO was just once in a lifetime. And in fact, you and I aren't losing any sleep at all thanks to Chili Sleep. Well, actually, now it's called Sleep Me. They're bringing the same great sleep that Chili Sleep offered, but under a new name. You see, Sleep Me makes the coldest sleep systems available. They create the environment that meets your body's natural need for lower core temperatures, promoting deeper, more restorative sleep. These sleep systems are water-based, temperature-controlled mattress pads that fit over your existing mattress to provide you your ideal sleep environment. Think of it as like a smart thermostat for your bed. They keep your bed at the perfect temperature for deep, cold sleep. And they just launched something that feels like it's sci-fi, but it's real. The doc pro sleep system now has hyper AI. Yeah, you heard me AI. You can experience the ultimate cooling power with the doc pro sleep system. You just pair it with the new sleep me app and you get real time temperature adjustments based on your current sleep activity from the new hyper AI tech. That's right. It's the industry's first sleep tech that tracks and optimizes your sleep in real time, get the best sleep of your life with AI driven technology. It's been a game changer for me. 
I went from tossing and turning and fighting with the covers to man, I am just out cold. I used to sleep five or six hours a night. I'm sleeping seven and eight hours a night. I'm having bright, vivid, colorful dreams. That tells me I'm getting REM sleep. I didn't used to dream at all. It's all changed at sleep.me slash 83 weeks, S L E E P dot M E slash 83 weeks to learn more and save 25% off the purchase of any new Doc Pro, Uller, or Cube sleep system. This offer is available exclusively for 83 weeks listeners and only for a limited time. That's sleep, S L E E P dot M E slash 83 weeks to take advantage of our exclusive discounts and wake up feeling refreshed every day. Eric, let's jump into it. We got another great question here from the Rosen Coaster. With the stress of funding the production of Thunder without network assistance, in addition to three hour nitros, were there other instances where Turner executives wanted WCW to promote other projects without their financial support? Uh, not really. I mean, there was co promotion, you know, whenever there was a show. And I, I always embrace these. I love the, the opportunity to try. But for example, the advent, the new adventures of Robin Hood, I think was a yep. TNT initiative. And they, <clears throat> Brad Siegel came to us and said, look, can you come up with a way to, you know, cross promote, come up with some ideas. I love that kind of a challenge. You know, when somebody says, come up with some ideas, you know, there's no, you've heard the saying, there's no such thing as a bad idea, which is not really true by the way. But when you can sit in a room again, you know, collaborate and, and try to, come up with a unique way of doing something that had never been done before. That's, that's a blast. And we got called upon to do that quite often, but that was never a burden. It wasn't like coming up with a primetime television show and funding it yourself. That was a little different, but that was the only other thing cross promotion. That was always fun. Henry Jasper says in the business of the wrestling business, what is Eric Bischoff's opinion on how much money and importance should be put into production? How does hiring production people compare in importance to talent budgets, etc.? Oh, I mean, that's a big question and it's a good question. It's a hard one to answer. I don't think there's a rule of thumb that says you should sit out of your total television budget. 62% of it should be allocated towards talent and this percentage should go over here and that person, you know, it's, it doesn't quite work that way. Look, entertainment is by nature, a talent driven equation. It just is. It is the nature of entertainment, music, film, television, hell, your local gentleman's club. It's all about entertainment and that comes down to talent. Um, but you can't underestimate production. You know, you can, it's a balance. It's the only way I can say it. It's a balance. And if you find, if I ever found myself in a position where I had to compromise on talent in order to achieve something unique in production, I would forego the production element and bet on talent. It's always, entertainment's always going to be a talent driven industry. Well said top guy, Josh wants to know, is there a current wrestler in any company that you would love to see, get a push or story? If so, who, and what type of story would fit him or her the best? Is there somebody uh, sitting on the sidelines that you're really rubbing your hands together thinking, man, no, funny. cause I just don't, I don't spend any time, any, any, any time thinking 
about things like that. I do have ideas for wrestling characters sometimes that pop into my head. Like, I, I don't want to go too far into this, but, you know, I'd love to see, how do I describe her? Oh. Uh, a tough, a real kick-ass female, attractive, but more, more of a badass and attractive single mother oh. with a bit of, that's fearless just with a dangerous edge to her. And I, I'm not taking away from any of the other characters because there's a lot of great characters out there, but there's like just a little bit of a niche that isn't being filled. And I'd love to see, and I think about that character a lot because I think it, it's a relatable character right now. And I'd like to see that. Who would I plug into that? I don't know. I don't, I don't pay attention to people that are sitting on the side. Not that I shouldn't say I don't pay attention to them. I'm just not aware of them. They're not in my world. Um, so I don't know who's out there floating around that I'd be bringing my hands over to try to get. But I do think about characters sometimes and what, what's kind of missing from the character landscape. You mean like uh, the chick from Terminator? Not well. Yeah. Yeah but a little more relatable. Okay. Like I don't know where she came from. I want to know what factory she worked. She worked in, in Youngstown, Ohio. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm blue, really blue collar. I want, I want her to be able to, if she, if she, if she loses a transmission in her 68, you know, Dodge charger, I want, I want to see her in the garage fixing it herself. I want to see her drinking beer in a local tavern after work and stand being able to stand up for herself. So you want ODB on TV again? I kind of was, I almost said because <laughs> I dig ODB. I loved her character, but maybe turn down just a little bit in some respects and turned up in others. But yeah, as a, as an archetype, ODB would be, that's where I would start. Fern dog has an old school question for us. Was Mandalay sports or SFX really in consideration about WCW? And if so, how close were they? Uh, not Mandalay sports. Mandalay sports was owned by a guy by the name of Peter Goober. Peter was a friend of mine. Peter was a former chairman and CEO of Sony pictures at one point in time. Peter was a very, yeah, it is very, I, mean, I think he owns part of the Lakers or Dodgers or something. He, he owned at the time, five or six different minor league baseball teams. In addition to Mandalay films, very, very successful dude. I really enjoyed getting to know Peter. Uh, he had me speak to a class at UCLA once, uh, uh, a film class. And really, really, he's one of those guys, man, if you got to be in a room with him, just shut up and listen, just absorb, like be a sponge piece, just full of knowledge and, and perspective and super guy, but there was, and he had a lot of money, but the, he, he was, Peter was the guy that turned us on, turned me on to Brian Badal. 
and Steve Greenberg. They, they kind of lived in that rarefied air. You know, they all met once a year. Who's the, who's the big investor? I can't remember his name. Um, he was out of Washington. Anyway, they'd all get together once a year in Aspen, all these big time, hugely successful people, and they share notes and strategies. And Steve uh, Greenberg and Brian Badal were part of that group. And so was Peter Gruber, and that's how I met them. But no, Peter was Peter would always say, and I, to this day I remember this. He'd always say, "Eric, never use your own money, other people's money." That's what he was best at. You know, Peter would Peter would makes huge investments and put together these massive deals, never touched a nickel of his own money. He reached, you know, everybody else made money with Peter, but Peter was was one of those magic guys that uh, did amazing things, but never risked his own money. Here's a great question from Mike. What if Vincent answered Eric's challenge to a fight? How would the Turner execs have reacted to a real fight taking place on their programming? I don't think they would have cared. No, you know, somebody would have Off gone to the hospital reverse. Maybe that would have been a different situation, but. Of, of all of the outcomes that were likely to occur, occur, I don't think they would have cared. I think Ted would have been proud of me. Hey, it's stupid and silly and it's a waste of time. However, let's have some fun with it. If you in here, let's say that fight did happen. What would we have been expecting? What would the outcome have been in 1998? What would your strategy have been? Mono Imano, the Jacks chairman from North Carolina and Detroit's finest easy E what would that look like? Mm, God, you know, I didn't really think about it much <laughs> to be honest. Um, in 1998. There were certain things I was still, there was only two or three things from a physical perspective that I was highly confident in my ability in. And there were simple things. And you know, when it comes to self-defense and, and, and fighting and things like that, it's not all the fancy stuff that really matters quite as much is, you know, believe it or not, just really, really good basic fundamentals. And I still had at 90 in 98, I still had pretty good basic fundamentals. Um, and the things that I relied upon at that point were my left hand, even though I'm right-handed, I had, and Sonny would tell you this or Ernest Miller or anybody that actually had been in the ring with me, my left hand was pretty good. And it's unusual for a right-handed guy to have a powerful left hand, but I did and fast. And I had a good front leg. So I would have probably worked his legs. I would have stayed away from Vince because obviously he was much stronger than I was. And I wasn't, you know, lost upon me. But again, I, you know, throughout a large chunk of my life, you know, I wrestled in high school. I wrestled in college. I wrestled Greco. I wrestled freestyle. I knew how to, and with my martial arts experience, all of that really, the big advantage that all, that all of that gave to me was just that I understood how to manage distance and timing. And I had pretty good footwork. 
So I would have probably tried to tire them out. You know, usually guys that are big like that blow up pretty quickly. Um, the more musculature they have, the more oxygen they need. So if you can just stay away from them for as long as you can um, and fatigue them a little bit, then all of the strength and, and the leverage and the advantage that they have with it starts to diminish pretty, pretty quickly. And the other thing that I've learned with people that aren't trained fighters is when they get into a ring and or into a street fight, the first thing they're worrying about is getting punched in the head. You see it all the time, especially if you watch those videos, guys get in there and they're leaning out. They throw a punch, but they're leaning backwards because they're afraid to get hit in the head. I never tried to hit anybody in the head. I try to go elbow deep into their body. It's a lot easier to knock somebody out to the body than it is to the head. It's a lot easier to hit people in the body because they don't expect it. And there's an area right there in the center of your chest, just below where your ribs come apart, that if you can land a solid kick or a good straight punch in that area, even if you don't drop somebody, you're going to take a lot of steam out of them a lot quicker. And then it's a lot easier to, to attack the head. So I would have kept my distance. I would have moved in and out. I would have taken advantage of my speed because I was smaller and faster and I have pretty good footwork. And then um, until I gassed him a little bit, I would have worked him from the ground up, meaning I would have worked his legs in, until I got into his body and I would have tried to drop him to the body. I wouldn't have tried to, wouldn't have, I wouldn't even have tried to throw a punch to the head. You could have helped him tear both of those quads early, you know, seven years early. Yeah. Uh, Shoot so you just, you just want to look in the camera right now and say, I would have mopped the floor with Vince McMahon. Cause that'd be good. No, I don't think I would have. I, I, I think it would have been, we're having fun, Eric. Well, I know, I know, I, uh, I would have kicked his ass. <laughs> I'd have sent that bitch packing with his little pedicures and his manicures and his little stuffed suit and his $1,500 little tie with a cute little knot on top. I'd have sent that bitch packing back to Connecticut, whining like the punk he really was. All right. How's that? Was that fun? Thank you. That's what I needed. Right. That's what I was looking for. I appreciate that. Right. A two shows nightly try the veal tippy waitress. Uh, Bobby wants to know, do you think you would have stayed in the wrestling business if you had not gotten the executive producer role for WCW? If so, what would you have aimed to be? If not, I don't know, you have man. Gone? that's a great question. Um, no, I would not have stuck around. I was on my way out the door. I've talked about that before. I was, I actually had sold the show to, uh, Fox television, Fox kids network to a lady by the name of Molly miles with Jason Hervey. We had sold a kid's show. I was heading in that direction. I had auditioned for a new show, uh, that I almost got by the way, um, access Hollywood. I almost got hosting job for access Hollywood. So I was on my way out the door when the executive producer role came to be and getting the job is what made me stick around. But what, you know, who knows, who knows where I would have ended up. I could be working in a car wash in Dondo beach. I don't know. That'd be fun. Uh, David wants to know what was your favorite and least favorite booking decision. And for least favorite, what changes would you make? So let's go with oh. least favorite. We know the, the favorites, the NWO, um, duh, but what is the least favorite? Like if you have to do over again, or you're saying, oh man, 
Wish I had another bite at the apple on that. Oh, gosh. I don't know. I, I can't. I don't know. Like nothing stands out in my, I mean, I, you know, there's a lot of average to below average to horrible storylines, I guess, that I could choose from, but I just, they don't come to my mind. Oh, maybe this one will. Maybe it's like, you know, I only remember good things. I don't remember bad things. Good I don't always usually only remember good things about people and places. I never remember the bad thing. You know, I, I grew up in a, in an area that a lot of people grew up in that don't have any good feelings about it. I'm the opposite. I only remember the good stuff. I don't remember. I don't drag the bad stuff with me. And I think part of that is why I have a hard time. So what's the, what's the toughest decision you ever made? It's like, God, I don't know. Yeah. I made a lot of them. I can't tell you. I feel bad because it's a good question and I want to participate and have fun, but I can't think of it. Ken Moore has a fun one. With all the conversations you've had with Vince McMahon, did any of them involve discussions about nitro or raw where you or he said, how the heck did you pull that off? Or that was a dick move. So let me rephrase this for Ken in your social time. Not that you had a bunch of social time with Vince, but it wasn't all work all the time. There might be just a casual conversation here or there about something other than how's that weather looking today or what have you. Does he ever wax nostalgia with you and say, man, when you did da, 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 boy, that pissed me off. You son of a bitch. I mean, I could see that. Does that sort of conversation happen? Never. Well, it's like it, you know, while I was there, even, you know, when I was there as a talent, and then even when I went back for a very brief period of time in 2019, and at that point in 2019, I was with Vince either one-on-one -on -one or in a very small group, probably 15 hours a week or 20 hours a week um, or more, actually, unfortunately. <laughs> um, most of that was waiting for him, by the way. But we never it's like none of that ever happened. It never came up. I wish it would have, you know, that in a fun, just because believe me, Vince, I don't think, you know, it's probably a highlight in Vince's career, you know, ultimately the way things ended up, he's very proud of it and he should be. Um, so I don't think it was like a sore spot. I just, it's not how Vince just, it's not, never happened. Everything, you know, for me with Vince, everything was pretty superficial. There was no real conversation between he and I very, very you know, just like guys. Yeah. It was, it was all business. It was just all business. Very little personal. JM Wagner wants to know, what can you say about the Hulk Hogan celebrity championship wrestling on CMT in 2008? Who came up with the idea of that show? You were a producer. Was that before you were also an on-air judge? Who from the cast had the most potential to be a pro wrestler? My partner, Jason Hervey and I created that show, developed that show and sold that show to CMT to a lady by the name of Melanie Moreau, by the way, who was the program director, uh, not program director, whatever, had a programming for CMT at the time. Super cool chick, by the way, super cool. She and her, Daughters have been out to the house here and stayed with us in Wyoming. Subsequently, become friends. Um, no, we, Jason and I came up with that idea. 
Dancing with the Stars, I think, was kind of new at that time and was big. And I think Jason and I were probably sitting in a restaurant somewhere and went, well, if you can dance with the stars, why can't you wrestle with the stars? And that's where that idea started from. And we, we laid the idea out on paper. We developed it internally. We pitched it to CMT. CMT bought it. Our company produced it. And I think in many respects, it was a really good show. It was a very complicated show, but the level of commitment from some of the talent, like Aaron Murphy. Now, kind of, you're not even going to remember who Aaron Murphy is, right? No. But she was the little girl in Bewitched. Oh, okay. And Aaron Murphy was like so into this. She loved it. I mean, she cried when she got eliminated and it wasn't like fake TV cry. It was, she cared, you know, and, and Dennis Robin, I mean, I, Dennis Robin, he put a hundred percent into it. It mattered to him, you know, Dustin diamond, Danny Bonaducci. You know, I was shocked at how committed these people were. They weren't just, and look, some of them needed, you know, Danny Bonaducci didn't need a gig at the time. He was one of the hottest DJs in the United States. I think he was like the hottest. He was like the number one DJ in Philadelphia at the time or something. He was making big bank. He wasn't doing it for the money. He was doing it for the fun because he was nuts. Um, super committed. Um, it was a fun time. The one thing I will say is, you know, that was one of the toughest periods of time for Hulk. Personally, his back was, he's a star of our show. His back was so bad. I, I'm not even going to begin to try to describe it. He, we would shoot in the evenings. Generally we'd rehearse during the day and we shoot in the evenings. Like I'd, I'd go pick Hulk up at his hotel, like around five o'clock to get him back to the set and try to get him moving. And there was one point in time where I didn't think I could get him out of bed. Wow. He was hurting so bad. And it took me an hour and a half just to help get him to the restroom so we could start getting cleaned up to go. He was in so much trouble. And then we'd shoot. And then on a Friday night, he'd immediately jump on a red eye and fly back to Tampa because Nick, his son, was going through some stuff. And Terry wanted to be there. It was a really tough time on him, but the show itself was a pretty cool show. It was pretty fun. All right, Eric, let's take a time out right now and talk about something. That's not a tough time. It's the easiest decision you're going to make. I'm talking about Henson shaving. I've had this razor for a few months now, and I absolutely fell in love with it. I bought one for my travel bag and I've got one. I keep here at the house. I've even got one at the office. That's right. I've got three of these razors now. I've converted my dad. I've converted my barber. They know a thing or two about razors. Here's what's cool about Henson shaving. It's a family owned business, but they're an aerospace parts manufacturer. Yeah, that's right. These guys have made stuff for the international space station and the Mars Rover. And now they're bringing that same precision engineering to your doggone face. That stubble trouble is gone. Razor blades are like diving boards. Y'all. I just learned this, but the longer the board, the more the wobble and the more the wobble. Well, that's where your problems come in. You're more apt to have nicks and cuts and scrapes. You see a bad shave. Isn't a blade problem. 
It's merely an extension problem. What Henson Shaving has done though, is using their aerospace grade CNC machines, they make metal razors that extend just 0.0013 inches, which is less than the thickness of a human hair. And that means a secure and more stable blade with a vibration free shave. And it gets better. This razor even has built in channels to evacuate hair and cream, which makes clogging virtually impossible. Seriously, what I love most about Henson shaving is they wanted to make the best razor, not the best razor business. And what that means is there's no plastic here. This is the last razor you'll ever need. There's also no gimmicky subscriptions. There's no proprietary blades that are behind some lock and key down at the drugstore. And there's no planned obsolescence. The Henson razor works with a standard old school dual edge blade, just like your grandpa used to use. But this has the benefits of new school tech. Think about it. 0.0013 inches. I'm telling you, when you hold one of these razors in your hand, you will not believe how thin this thing is. I mean, it feels flexible, but here's what's most impressive to me. Not only is this giving me the best shave I've ever had, so it's better than what I was doing. It's also cheaper and I'm used to when something's better. It's supposed to cost more. They have somehow figured it out at Henson shaving. Your replacement blades are going to run you three to $5 a year. Not a month, not a week, not a quarter, three to five bucks a year. It's time to say no to subscriptions and it's time to say yes to a razor that will last you a lifetime. Visit hensonshaving.com slash 83 weeks to pick the razor for you and use the code 83 weeks and you'll get two years worth of blades for free with your razor. Just be sure to add them to your cart. That's over 100 free blades. When you head to H E N S O N S H A V I N G dot com slash 83 weeks and use the code 83 weeks, a hundred free blades, y'all. Hansonshaving.com slash 83 weeks. Eric, let's do one here from, uh, Marf. What a name. Was there a licensing agreement with Looney Tunes and Warner Brothers? I just watched Starcade 96 and Roddy has a Tasmanian devil on his shirt. And there are numerous shirts with animation crossing over with WCW and the NWO. You know, I don't know. That's a great question. Um, obviously there was a lot of cross promotion within, uh, Turner as a whole, you know, we had new line cinema we had the cartoon network. We had Hanna Barbera, uh, all of it under one umbrella. And there was a lot of cross promotion. I don't think there were any intercompany allocations in terms of licensing. So I don't think there were any former formal deals. Um, but there was an attempt as often as possible to kind of cross promote. Here's one from Billy. Is there an AWA talent that you worked with that you think could have been good or great in WCW, but never made it there? Not really. You know, by the time I got to, to WC or excuse me, AWA, um, all of the talent that could have gone on to make it did yeah. go on to make it. Yeah. And Vern was pretty much left with, with, with the exception of Larry Zabisco, who was still there because he was married, married to Vern's daughter. Um, all of the real talent that had any real potential was already gone. Here's one from, uh, not the WrestleMania Cody. I love this one. Have some fun with it, Eric. What was the blend of coffee you spilled on Eddie Guerrero? I don't know, man. It was some industrial, like 
buy it by the vat kind of garbage coffee. It's probably why I threw it. It was probably not even piss. I probably grabbed that cup of coffee because I have high expectations when it comes to coffee. You heard me talk about earlier managing my emotional expectations. I'm really, really good at that. But I'm very vulnerable when it comes to the things that I like to eat or drink. I expect it to be good. And when it's not, I react accordingly. So I think this whole story that's been so blown out of proportion about me throwing coffee at Eddie Guerrero wasn't so much about me being angry and throwing coffee, either directly or indirectly, depending on whose story you want to believe, right? Or the narrative, okay? Dirt cheat nonsense. The real truth, most likely, was that I took a sip of this coffee expecting a flavorful, robust, just palate quenching sip of hot coffee and it tasted like crap. And I threw that coffee. And of course, Eddie being Eddie, a little emotional, assumed I was throwing at him and <laughs> hence a narrative is born. I was hoping you were going to say Folgers. The best part of waking up is hitting Eddie with my cup. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Uh, KS says if he had the chance and WCW was able to be revived today, would he do so knowing what he learned the first time around any big changes? All right. No, there's zero chance. Eric wants to start a wrestling company. No, no. I was actually thinking about this last night. Um, and in within the context of me being very grateful for a lot of reasons, <laughs> but there just isn't a scenario right now where I would go, you know what? I'm going to saddle up and do this one more time. There just is not a scenario. That time has come and gone. I wouldn't, I just couldn't even, and there's not, I don't think realistically, realistically, there's not enough money because I wouldn't be happy doing it. Not at this stage of my life. I mean, there's not enough money. I mean, there is enough money. There is enough. But even if I was dumb enough to take it, I know myself well enough to know I wouldn't be happy. And that's why when I say there's not enough luck, there's always, you know, yeah, of course, stupid situations. But it's also why I said realistically, um, because I just know it wouldn't make me happy. It wouldn't satisfy me anymore. I would, you know, part of me would love to dabble only from a distance and on a part-time basis and in a way that I felt like I was actually contributing something and enjoyed contributing, but that would not involve a 60 hour work week focusing only on TV and wrestling that, that, that it would not be, couldn't be. Let's, uh, let's do one here for Mark. If you could be CEO of any company in the world, non-wrestling for just one day, to make a change that has driven you crazy, what company would it be? Google. What would you change? I, everything about Google. I hate Google Docs. I hate Google Drive. I hate Google Meetings. Anytime we have to do something, somebody says, oh, we're going to do a Google Meet. I just, I get angry. I say to them, Use Zoom. Zoom is easy. Zoom is intuitive. Zoom, Zoom is just so functional. The, the whole Google products, 
nah. I just, I hate Google. I hate Google. You hate Google Meet. You like the, the search engine. I can live, I can live without it. I actually use, uh, uh, what's the one that I use? Uh, duck, duck, go. Oh, you're the so, guy. Okay. We yeah. found him. Uh, DP wants to know what was your biggest regret from a talent standpoint of letting a wrestler go and having them wind up at WWE during the Monday night wars. None zero. I, I've never, I've never, ever, ever, ever thought twice about things like that. It's just cause you could drive yourself crazy. If you do that. Well no. said. Just once they're gone, they're gone. Matt Brown says, if you could only get Hall or Nash, but not both, would you still have done the NWO angle? And if you still would have done the angle, which one would you have done it with? If you can only pick one. Scott. Yeah, you gotta go, Scott. Yeah. Even Scott. Kevin would pick Scott. Even Kevin would pick Scott. No, I know he would. Yeah. But I just wanted to think that through. Yeah. Scott just had so much unique charisma that if you had to bet on one of one of those horses, yeah. it would be Scott. Well said. Jeremy says, being the guy behind the famous Hogan heel turn, would Eric have ever wanted to turn Cena heel? And if so, how would he have pitched it to him? Uh, I think there was a time when the audience really wanted that. Yes. There's no question about that. How would I have pitched it to him? I would have sat down and said, John, let's, let's have some fun thinking this through and just start collaborating. If you could get it, if, if you had, if his head was halfway open to the idea if you could get if you could get John Cena to the point or or any talent we're talking about John here, but you know if you get a guy like John Cena, um, where he was at least open to the idea to the extent that you could start creating collaborating, John, what if? I know this is going to sound crazy, John, but what if? And if you could start a conversation like that, and and get engagement and participation that's fun now what would that have ended up looking like who knows who knows because you you would have to you know you'd have to build something that big around that particular that story would have to be unique to that talent you have to feel really really unique to to in this case john cena couldn't be a standard story do you think cena fun though do you think Cena's legacy would be what it is had he turned heel? I think he's better off having not turned heel. I agree. Now, you know, back then I would have said, no, man, come on. They're waiting for it. They want it. They want it. But looking at where John is today and what John accomplished during his career and the legacy that he did create, I think he made the right move. Well, that makes me want to ask you about Cody Rhodes, because of course, Cody Rhodes right now is the top baby face in the WWE, but I, as an adult male tend to like the bad guy characters more. And I think Cody was an excellent heel and I could see that in him. You know, he's got 
that little grin that right now is a, is a good charming thing, but you could also see ooh, that could really work as a bad guy character too. I know he's having one hell of a run as a baby face right now. I personally really like the idea of him turning heel, but I do think about with the benefit of hindsight, looking back at legacies, like dusty Rhodes. Okay. He was a heel for a cup of coffee, but he was this beloved figure much like John Cena. And I could see how wanting to stay that guy and that character, the hero forever for generations. Yeah. That that's probably the right call, but as a fan, I find myself feeling the same way about Cody now that I did Cena back when like, all right, this is good. But I can't wait for the heel turn. I'm with you. And dusty was special. You can't dusty was special. Cody is also special, but in a much different way. Dusty was every guy. Yeah. Everybody could relate to Dusty. There for the grace of God go I. Whether you whether you said that out loud to yourself or you just kind of felt it in the marrow of your bones when you saw Dusty deep down there for the grace of God go I. That could be me. That's how that's how much people related to Dusty. For so many reasons. Promos number one, who he was, which was a reflection of who is, what his promos were, the way he carried himself. There for the grace of God go I. I don't think that Cody has that same relatability. Very, very special thing. Cody, Cody's unattainable. He looks perfect. I see. He's impeccable. Yeah. He's the, he's class. He's everything. Most of us will never be. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. So as such, I think a heel turn is probably most likely in his long, long term future. Yeah. I don't think you do it for years. Right. It's not necessary. Like let this get stale first. Right. Yeah. Well, you don't want to let it get stale. You want to let it die down a little. Dusty would say, Dusty, I had this thing about saying, baby, you got to jump from from that lightning bolt, baby. In fact, one of the first times I was at Hulk's house before he built his big, you know, mansion on the beach, he had a, a, a beautiful home and it was on the, uh, it was on the water, but it was an inlet uh, instead of the ocean. And he had a big round dining table. And it was everybody had carved their signatures, you know, that had been to visit Hulk's house. And he used to throw a lot of parties there back in the you know, late 80s, early 90s when he lived there. Um, so everybody had their initials in there. And Dusty, I was sitting there one night, I was visiting Hulk, and we were having a beer at that table and just kind of looking at all the signatures that had been carved into the dining room table and there was the lightning bolt and that was dusty's and we talked about it because i used to hear dusty say that all the time baby i don't know when to jump off that lightning bolt baby and jump on to another one 
And the key to that, I, the way I always interpret that is, you know, you don't want to wait till that lightning bolt hits the ground. Yes. But jump off right before, because when you hit the ground, you're grounded. Yeah. Right? You're, that positive electrical charge that was created up there in a thundercloud just, you know, burned up a tree, but it's gone. But if you can jump that bolt and ride another one before it hits the ground, that's it. And that's timing. So, you know, you don't want to let that baby face character get stale because now you've gone too far. And knowing the right time is the art and the magic, but it's got to happen for, for I, I think it's got to happen for, for Cody, you know, whether it's a year two years or five years, I don't know, but it'll happen. Relic has a business question for you. What goes into using a band song for a pay-per-view or intro to a show? Does the company reach out to the record label or the band directly? Never the band directly. Usually go to the publisher. That's where it starts. Check the publishing rights to see if it's available. Some people don't want to license their music out or only want to license out for certain types of things. So yeah, you start, you find out who the music publisher was, maybe go to the label either way, find out who you got to talk to first, usually the publisher, see what the deals are, see what the parameters are, what limitations there are, start negotiating from there. Chris wants to know, there's always a lot of talk about dream matches. We never got. Matches like Sting versus The Undertaker, Austin versus Hogan. Mine is AJ Styles versus Shawn Michaels. What would yours be, Eric? Well, that'd have been a good one, wouldn't it? That's a great one. Speaking of I'll dream matches, that. did you see Vikingo and Omega? What did you think if you saw it? No, I didn't see it. I was otherwise occupied, but no, I didn't see that one. I heard about it. What did you think of it? Did you see it? I loved it. Dave Meltzer said it was, uh, the most important debut. And in a lot of ways, it was, uh, more special than Ray's WCW debut, which a lot of people thought was a little crazy because he was the real innovator. But I do think there are those sort of, oh, I didn't know you could do that moments in wrestling. Ray and WCW was certainly one of those. And I feel like that's probably the message Meltzer's trying to convey. Vikingo showed people things they'd never seen before. And that's the first time we've probably been able to say that about a performer in a while. Yeah, I, I didn't see it, but I'll, I'll be curious. I'll go back and look for it. I do record the show. So AEW, so I, I can go back and look at things in particular, but I'll check that out. Uh, big Laz says, Hey, what was a bigger missed opportunity? The WCW NBC specials or Viacom buying TNA Viacom. Yeah. Both big, both big. But oh, you both really big. Certainly, when Turner Broadcasting prevented me from doing NBC specials, that that was a big loss of opportunity. I don't think ultimately it would have changed anything in the end. Whereas. The Viacom opportunity had TNA embraced that the opportunity that existed at that point. I think we'd still be watching TNA today. Super utility says, what was the thinking of not having bulldog and anvil appear on screen or interact with Brett in 98 bulldog and anvil would team up announcers would talk about their connection, but there was never any creative storylines around it. And they were the hottest faction in 97. 
besides the NWO. Who was who the hottest faction in 97? The NWO, of course. But on the other side, the other show, the Hart Foundation was the, was, was the hottest faction for sure. Ah, whatever. You weren't interested in. I, well, I, just, I disagree. They weren't that hot. Look, with all due respect. And they weren't at that point in time, either one of them. ready to get any kind of significant real sustained push. I appreciate the pause right there. We all thought the same thing. Uh, Jason wants to know, I recently rewatched Jerry Maguire and I noticed that a lot of Jerry's mannerisms, cadence movements, etc., were very similar to a 96, 98 heel Bischoff. Maguire came out in 96 and was very popular. My question is, are these coincidences or did Eric Bischoff take inspiration from the character? No, I don't, I didn't consciously not, not going to suggest, cause I did see the movie, uh, perhaps, you know, I've learned, you know, the biggest lesson I learned was Larry Zabisco for years. I thought I just came up with the idea of the, calling it the NWO, the NWL, like it just rolled off my tongue from out of nowhere. And the truth was I had heard it yeah, and subconsciously it stuck with me, but I'd heard it from Larry Zabisco. And for decades, I thought it was my idea that just kind of popped out of my mouth from, from whence I had no idea until I found out otherwise. So I think sometimes we're all influenced by things we hear or see, you know, um, I know we are as human beings. We do that. We mimic things we like, we, we, we react in certain ways to things that impress us in certain ways. And you don't realize it happens until somebody points it out or you see it for yourself. Um, so maybe I did, could have, could have happened. I didn't consciously do it. All I consciously did was turn the volume up on myself. I knew the things that I could do that would kind of irritate people a little bit. So I turned the volume up on that. Dismal um, abysmal says, can Eric talk about how WCW's talent uh, developed and got their ring gear? If it differed from how it worked in the WWF, I know WWF had higher production and TV, but it often seems like the wrestler's ring gear was a bit shoddy or two by comparison. Oh, it, it definitely was. Yeah. I mean, WWE, it was a very, again, I, mean, I don't think there's, I'm not sure what I'm about to say is hundred percent accurate across the boards consistently hundred percent of the time. But I think in WWE, generally speaking, it's safe to say that that process of designing a character, designing a designing ring gear is a much more deliberate, thoughtful process, certainly in than it was in WCW. It was a much more deliberate, thoughtful process where a lot of time and energy went in in the very beginning. Like the minute a talent came in, that was probably a process that began very early on. Whereas in WCW, it was kind of like, oh, come up with some ring gear, bring it to TV, we'll see what works. It was an afterthought. Right. Particularly in comparison to the process in WWE. Now, once things started evolving and, and we became more successful, and ring gear and the look became something we had to think about more and plan for more. 
then that process started changing and we brought people in to design gear and it was more closely similar, a little bit more to what WWE did, but not nearly as sophisticated still. Yeah, exceptions, you know, Mortis and, you know, Glacier and a couple of the other characters that were really character intense for a very specific reason. That was a little different. That process was very deliberate. But the rest of it was like, guys would come up and say, hey, what do you think about this? Cool, wear that. Awesome. Here's a fun question from Scumbag Trav. Kevin Sullivan has stated in shoot interviews that it was his job to get people to forget that Goldberg lost on TV before the streak started. He went on to say that Goldberg still had hair at the time and wore Falcons colors. I cannot find any record of this. Does Eric have any info? Man, I've never seen Bill with hair on his head. I don't know. That's that you have to talk to Kevin about that one, but I, I don't think I've ever seen Bill with a hair on his head. I, I, uh, I do remember, uh, that he did lose a match, but I don't think it was taped. Uh, it was to Chad fortune at a WCW Saturday night taping. It was a dark match in Jackson, Tennessee, July 8th, 1997, but then even the other dark matches, he's just rolling right along until the end of 98. Yeah. I don't remember that at all. Yeah. Well, Kevin obviously did a fantastic job. Yeah. Cause we oh, forgot. People. So, cause I forgot. Yeah. There you go. Uh, course, getting, getting me to forget anything is not a real challenge. <laughs> uh, Garrett says, if you were head booker for AEW or WWE, what would be the first, as soon as you get their change, you would make in each promotion. I mean, I don't think, uh, I would have too much, too much input on WWE right now. I don't see a lot of flaws. I think the first thing I would do with AEW, I would start at the very beginning. It's just basic fundamentals. And I would look at that format yeah. and I would start structuring my format and my stories in a much more deliberate fashion. Zane wants to know what sort of role would it take for you to get back working with a professional wrestling company today? And if you had your pick, which company would it be and why? I, I, I it's just, there, there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be, look, if there was some kind of fun thing that I could do with, with WWE and Bruce. Oh yeah. Sure. That'd be fun because there's people there that I genuinely like and enjoy. Not just Bruce, but other people. But that's not real. There is no there is no scenario that's real that would be workable for them, or or actually for me. I I, I no. I'd have to be able to do it for my home, which makes it impossible and right. not realistic. And I would not want to be anywhere near AEW in any way, shape, or form. Not not because I don't want them to succeed. It's just I. Ugh, no. no. James Elkery says, would you rather see a crowd split for both talents in the ring? Or would you rather the crowd mainly all cheer for one guy and boo the other? I I'm, I'm, I'm a simple guy. Give me, give me good guys and bad guys. Give me, give me heat and aspiration. Give me the conflict and the drama that comes from 
the collision of an aspirational character and a real heel. Give me that. That's what I want. Every single time. And I'll bet on that every single time, and I'll win on that every single time. The 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 50-50 gray area, don't get me wrong, I've done it. I've had success with it. You could argue I created it. NWO was that. They were cheering the heels. It was 50-50. It was confusing in some respects. Very confusing early on for traditional baby faces that were getting booed or, 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 or listening to the heels that were kicking their ass getting cheered. It was very tough on some people for, for, for a period of time. Not everybody got used to it. But, nah, give me just, give me an aspirational good guy and a really just detestable heel, and I'll bet and I'll win 90% of the time with that formula. Uh, Richie Ray wants to know why wasn't Jimmy Hart in the man on the moon movie? As a reminder, this is the Andy Kaufman movie that of course had Jerry Lawler, who was a big part of WWF programming at the time, 1999, Jimmy Hart would have been working for WCW. Would this have been something that WCW returner didn't want him to participate in? No. Yeah. No, I couldn't tell you. I didn't even, I, I have no idea. I mean, there was a red I light. Even... He knew he wanted to be there. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea, but it would certainly we would not have prevented Jimmy from doing it. Uh, Zane wants to know what advice do you have for young business professionals trying to make it in the world of media and entertainment? Develop a very thick skin network, 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 network some more because it's a, it's really a relationship business still is to this day been talking recently to some friends of mine that are in the, in the business and it's still, it's very much a relationship business. The real deals get done between people that have known each other for a long time and, and no one trusts each other. So yeah, network and do shit that you don't necessarily want to do. Not, not every job, not every opportunity you're going to get is going to be the ideal one. Just get in it learn, look for ways to learn, know what you don't know and move on and do it again and keep doing it until you become a pretty valuable asset. Takes a lot of time. You know, you're going to, you're going to, you're going you're gonna to crash and burn many times along the way. Cause it's a, it's also a, you know, the entertainment business is a fickle business. Any, yeah. any aspect of it, music, television, it's all political. It's all fickle. It's tough. Got to be tough to do it, man. Business is tough. And that's why we're glad Impera is helping businesses plan for the future by turning ideas into actionable plans. Impera provides visibility into the success of your plan, helping you understand what's working and what's not. Impera is also user-friendly. It's fast to start and it helps you and your team quickly get to work on your business plan. Impera is going to help you overcome the hardest part of starting a business which is turning ideas into plans and breathing life into them. Think of Impera as your tag team partner, helping you stay focused on what matters the most in your business. Impera simplifies the process of business planning and helping you really focus on what's important. Impera eliminates the guesswork, helping you make all the informed decisions you need based on data and not just gut feelings. 
With Empira, business planning becomes less overwhelming and more manageable. Empira provides you a more structured approach to business planning, keeping you on track and organized. And I know this is a company that you really believe in, Eric. What's your experience been like with Empira? Absolutely amazing. These guys are so cool. First of all, they're wrestling fans. They live in Australia. That's where they launched Empira, but they've now got offices here in the United States. Super, super guys. So smart. And I know we're, we're talking about business plans. To me, and I've, I've been involved um, and have developed some really, really sophisticated business plans. And the people that are really good at building professional business plans are invaluable because a business plan forces you to think about the details of your business. If you're starting a new business or if you're trying to rebuild an existing business, a business plan forces you to think through some of the most granular, detailed, boring stuff. But that's what you need to do if you're going to really build a business. But what I love about Empira is it's a tool that allows you to affect your business plan. Meaning it's a living, breathing thing that you can build that allows you to, it's supportive of your business plan, allows you to execute on your business plan in real time and communicate all of the elements, the pillars that move the needles within your business. I don't care if you're making, you know, birdhouses in your garage and shipping them out on eBay or, or you've got a small business in, in your home with you and your wife and your kids and you're, you know, it's a side hustle or you've got a business of 10 or 15 or 20 or 30 or 50 or 400 people. You've got to communicate. You've got to stay on top of your business. And as a business owner, Imperial allows you to work on your business instead of working in your business. And it's a, and it's easy. Damn it. It's so easy. You, you sign up, they'll, they'll onboard you on the phone. Imperial's, it'll, you could custom design this unique business tool that is so easy to use. Someone like me can figure it out, but they'll onboard you. They'll talk you through it. They'll walk you through it. They'll give you some ideas. And it's something you can use every single day. You get a dashboard, you show up in your home office, you've got a dashboard, you plug in, you can see what what's going on in advertising today. And what did we do last week in sales? What do we do? What's our inventory currently looking like? How, to, how can we manage this better? And you can communicate all that with your team. So whether you're a one-man band or you've got an orchestra working for you, Impura gives you the tools that can help you execute, execute a great business plan. What are you waiting for? Sign up now and receive free onboarding your first 14 days for free and 24 seven support. Get ahead of the game and save 20% on your subscription by using the code WrestleBiz at checkout, launch your business plan faster and with less effort than ever before and visit Ampira.com forward slash Eric today and start your journey to success. And by the way, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I want to, it's like the cost of two or three cups of coffee a month. I mean, come on, Conrad, you know, this man, you know, this better than I do. How many new businesses fail? Yeah. And they don't fail because it's a bad idea. No. Most businesses fail because they didn't really have the right plan or the tools to execute the plan. 
Get the plan you need at Empira.com slash Eric. That's E-M-P-I-R-A-A dot C-O-M forward slash Eric. Empira.com forward slash Eric. By the way, we're going to do uh, one more question here, but I want to direct everybody to our YouTube. We're doing something a little different. We're going to have an overtime that's YouTube exclusive. So if you're listening to us in your podcast app right now, you're going to get some more content, some questions we didn't get to some live questions from our studio audience and all of Eric's WrestleMania picks rapid fire. So if you want to know who Eric is picking, everybody's talking about gambling and wrestling. If you want to know who Eric is picking, be sure to check out our YouTube channel. That doesn't get any easier. 83 weeks on youtube.com type that in hit that subscribe button 83 weeks on youtube.com Eric, our last question and we'll wrap it up today is from Travis. Was there anybody in your wrestling career? You absolutely despised working with. Not really, you know, I'll joke around just to keep the show moving along sometimes or to, to, to try to be funny, but <clears throat> You know, I mean, there were people it didn't work out, you know, honky tonk man comes to mind. Right. And I joke about in, enjoying firing him. Well, it's not a joke, but mostly a joke, but no, there's nobody. I just, I don't know. I never, it's hard for me. There's people I won't work with, but I right. don't get emotional about it. You know, I just, it is what it is. Well, think about it. It is what it is for us this week here on the program. In the coming weeks, we'll be talking about your boy, DDP. We'll also be talking about the 25th anniversary of the 83-week streak being broken. We'll cover Spring Stampede 1998, uh, your standing and legacy in professional wrestling when we have our fifth anniversary show. Can't believe that's a thing. Uh, and uh, yeah, Eric, five years of 83 weeks right around the corner, man. The Australian tour with uh, Ric Flair and that'll be a topic we're going to do and slamboree 98, 99, even going to get a little bit of the four horsemen. It's going to be a lot of fun. By the way, all this fun happens early and ad free over at adfreeshows.com. We've even got a brand new bonus episode of 83 weeks just posted from 20 years ago. You took on stone cold, Steve Austin in the main event of Monday night raw, but the real main event was the backstage confrontation that happened between you and the nature boy. We talk all about it and watch your match back against Steve Austin. It's all over at adfreeshows.com. By the way, if you haven't already, let me just tell you the first week's on us. That's right. You get more than a dozen podcasts early and ad free with all this bonus content, starting at just nine bucks a month. And the first week is completely free. It's a free trial y'all. Go check it out. See if you like what ad free shows is cooking up over at adfreeshows.com. By the way, if you want to advertise on this program, man, if you're looking for men, 25 to 54 years old, no better place than right here on 83 weeks. You've heard us advertise for some of the same sponsors year after year after year. You want to know why? Cause it really works. And with our super targeted audience, there's very little waste. Find out more of how to advertise here on the program and get Eric Bischoff to shield for you, baby. At advertisewithericcom That's advertisewithericcom He's on Twitter at ebischoff. We are at 83 weeks on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. But for that bonus content you've been looking for, some rapid fire WrestleMania picks and even more questions, join us right now. 83 weeks on youtube.com. 
That's 83 weeks on youtube.com. And, uh, you know, listen, lots of people going to be getting out and traveling here for spring break and summer vacation. Maybe you need to, uh, represent over at 83 weeks, merch.com. Check out all that new swag, man. New hats, new shirts, new tumblers, new stickers. Who doesn't want a big gold? The NWO spray painted it on their laptop. Come on, go check it out. 83 weeks, merch.com. Eric, I was glad to be back in the saddle with you today, man. Had a lot of fun and looking forward to having a little more fun right now over on YouTube. We'll see you guys next week, right here on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. Hey guys, need to call a quick time out here. Wanted to tell your listeners what I've been telling my listeners over at OU didn't know for a while now about all the cool things happening over at adsfreeshows.com. A brand new series has arrived on ad-free shows. Top of the card unpacks everything you need to know in the wrestling trading card space. And we're starting with the granddaddy of them all, the 1982 Wrestling All-Stars Series A set. Now, this set was not exclusive to any one territory at the time, as we were still right at the tail end of the territory era of professional wrestling. So it was a basically a who's who in professional wrestling. With card number one being Andre the Giant, Others included in the set include Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Dusty Rhodes, Ted DiBiase, and others. 20 years ago, Eric took on Stone Cold in the main event on Raw, but the real main event was the confrontation that happened backstage before the show. Now, the next week, I'm sitting in this chair, and that same guy, I don't think I had said a word to him that day. I don't think I had seen Rick up until the point he came through that door, and he's, you know, me, he's just telling me to get up, get out of the chair. He's so pissed off, he's bleeding. I'm on the phone, and he's got blood <laughs> running down his chin because he bit his lip. He was so mad, he bit the inside of his mouth. He's got blood, blood on a backstage confrontation. I hadn't even gotten out of the chair yet. <laughs> Ad-Free Shows members got to sit shotgun alongside Kevin Nash and click this co-host, Sean Oliver, as they watch back some of the worst matches in history. None more so than... The Yeti. Randy, now. The mummy is not Frankenstein. You don't walk with your arms straight out. With the arms out, right? And, and, you know, a a Yeti is also not a mummy, but I don't know. Was it Jim Hurd? Who was here? Well, well, whose brainchild was this? Who gives a fuck? That's just a small taste of what we got waiting for you. With four levels to choose from, see for yourself why Ads Free Shows is the best value in wrestling today. Sign up now at adsfreeshows.com. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.